What do anxiety, ADHD, and migraines have in common? If you've been listening to my program for some time, you know that the diagnosis could also come from a chemical imbalance or a nutrient imbalance in the body. Specifically, though, these conditions may show up because of a copper issue. Not that the copper is too low, but the copper is too high. On today's podcast of Ask Dr. Gill, I want to talk about how copper overload affects millions of people and how it can be detrimental to your health to have too much in your system. So stay tuned and let's find out more. Dr. Gill. I'm Dr. Gill Winkleman. And today on the program, I want to talk about copper overload symptoms and how they can show up and be a problem for people. Now, there's a lot of confusion about this. And certainly in, in my experience in my medical training, I didn't learn about copper overload, except in the sense when it's really, really toxic. And uh, I'll explain that in just a minute. Before I get to that, though, I want to talk about what copper can do in the body. And even when it's not, you know, really, really high. Now, I've had patients who've shown up who've had super high levels of copper in their body. And interestingly enough, it was not something that was looked at. Uh, by other uh, by other physicians, it's not part of, for example, a, a basic blood work. Uh, neither is zinc, and as a result of that, I think a lot of people end up with copper issues that uh, that that go undiagnosed. And so the the thought process in the mainstream medical community is that you you basically see super high levels of copper in the body briefly and then it gets deposited into different organs and that deposits are what cause the problem and there's a a, a disease called Wilson's disease that does affect uh, a, a few number of people very few uh, it's a genetic disorder that has to do with copper storage and there's a high level of copper in the body that then gets deposited into various places. And in fact, to to the point where you can sometimes pick this up with a eye exam and you can see the deposits show up in the eye. And this is very rare, by the way. Uh, it's in fact, when I was talking to Dr. Walsh, he, you know, he was basically saying he has over 30,000 cases in his database of people with various psychological ailments, and he had a lot of people who were high copper and very few Wilson disease patients. And interestingly, oftentimes, even though Wilson's disease is about too much copper in the body, 
you often will see very low copper levels in the blood. And that's because it's not, it's basically getting shuttled out of the blood really quickly. So that's kind of the, the mainstream approach to copper. And, and typically, you, you know, Western medicine has looked at copper deficiency uh, more than copper overload. And, and at some point in history, this probably was true. I think now we just don't see it quite as much. And it too is pretty rare. Uh, there is an, an anemia that will show up that looks like an iron deficiency anemia, but people's iron levels are fine. And typically that also will be related to a low copper. Um, with or without Wilson's disease, usually without. So that's kind of the, the overview of, of, you know, sort of the, the old school way of looking at copper. Uh, what, what we're now learning is, is that that's not really a complete view of copper imbalance in the body. And specifically, I think that there are levels of copper that can cause problems in the mental health realm. And let me explain sort of the, the thought process behind that. So uh, we, we obviously need some copper in our system. It's used in various uh, organic reactions in the body. And it's also used, it helps with making red blood cells. So, you know, obviously if you don't have enough copper, you can end up anemic as I, as I alluded to before. Uh, but copper also plays some other roles in the body. It's used in the immune system, and it's also used in uh, helping neurotransmitter production. And specifically, copper with vitamin C is a catalyst that allows for the conversion of dopamine into epinephrine. So you're going from a particularly calming neurotransmitter to one that's more excitatory. So epinephrine is used in a fight or flight situation. So it's one of the adrenal uh, neurotransmitters and used when you need a jolt of energy. And so this is important because sometimes you do need a jolt of energy. So, the, you know, obviously, you want that to be able to happen in the body, but sometimes that can happen too much. And what Dr. Walsh's research and Dr. Pfeiffer's research has found is that for many people, anxiety arises because there's too much free copper. So let me explain that. Uh, copper is a very reactive metal, and the body really wants to control how much is available at any one time, how much free copper. So in the body's wisdom, it creates a mechanism to bind copper so that there isn't too much available at any one time. And there's basically two ways that it does that. Uh, the first is, is it uses zinc to help balance that out. Now, zinc kind of balances it out directly and indirectly. Directly in that uh, zinc will compete against copper, and I'll get to that in a minute. But also indirectly in that there are uh, uh, proteins 
that are utilize zinc that help bind the copper. And, and one of the proteins that does this is called ceruloplasmin, although I don't think there's zinc in ceruloplasmin. Uh, ceruloplasmin is the copper binding protein, and at any one time, you can measure ceruloplasmin in the body and copper in the body and get a sense of how much free copper is there. And there's a formula to calculate that. Uh, it, it's roughly 3 to 1. It's a little, not quite, but it's roughly, you want about uh, no more than three times the, the copper uh, level uh, then you have the ceruloplasmin count. And in effect, you, you want tw less than 25% free copper in the body at any one time. And if the ceruloplasmin is low, that could be the equivalent of having high copper regardless of where the copper is in the body. And that can lead to symptoms as well. So I'm about to take a short break. And when we come back, I want to talk more about the ceruloplasmin connection to copper, the zinc connection, and, and also looking at what the symptoms are of copper overload, as Dr. Walsh calls it. Or So stay tuned, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Gill. I'm Dr. Gill Winkleman. So I, before I continue, I want to give you my email address in case you have any questions. The address is info, I-N-F-O, at askdrgill.com, A-S-K-D-R-G-I-L.com. And we can, you know, get back to you if, if there's a particular question. Usually what we do is we try and answer it in a show. And so it's really helpful for me because it gives me a sense of what it is you want to listen to. And I think I mentioned this uh, in a previous podcast, but I'm going to take a bunch of the questions and sort of put them together and do sort of a grab bag podcast here one of these days when I get enough good questions sort of to that good questions that I don't have a full topic program topic for. And we'll put together something like that and go from there. So, so right now we're talking about copper overload and the connection with migraine headaches and emotional outbursts and so forth. So I mentioned in the first part of the program that one of the roles of copper is to drive dopamine to, to epinephrine. And epinephrine is one of these, these um, uh, neurotransmitters that's really excitatory. You know, it, it just sort of, it's important you know, for example, when you want to get out of bed in the morning, you know, you want adrenaline to sort of help. You want, you want sort of the adrenal 
levels, the cortisol levels and all that to sort of rise. And one of the things that adrenaline will do is it will raise cortisol levels too. So it's, it's an important hormone, but of course, if you get too much of it or you get too much at one time, it, it can be problematic. And I mentioned zinc in some of the indirect ways, and I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but zinc will, will actually work to stop that transaction as well as produce GABA, which will also turn off the excitatory elements of the adrenal gland. So zinc and copper not only uh, you know, work in terms of competing against each other in absorption parts of the body, but also work kind of in opposite to each other in the body at times too. Now, there are aspects that they work together. They work together with immune response. That's a really important aspect of zinc and copper working together and and why, you know, medical, mainstream medical people uh, for, for many, many years were concerned about low copper. I mean, besides the anemia, it, it has many important functions in the body. So, but but what we see is, is you know, the, the layers of explosiveness uh, that show up, and it can be an, uh, an ADD diagnosis. It can be schizophrenia, although that's rarer. It could be uh, uh, depression, uh, and I'll explain that in just a second. It can be behavior issues. All of those can show up because of, of, of a really high copper. Now, the high copper depression, you might be thinking, well, if you're depressed, are you explosive? Well, sometimes, yeah. And oftentimes when people uh, uh, have kind of the, the depression with fits of, of anger that show up, that can be related to copper overload. So one of the things that we see is, is a lot of times postpartum depression that can be dysmorphic where people get really explosive. That's, a, that's related to high copper levels. And one of the suggestions uh, that, that we've had over the years to, to patients postpartum is to actually not be taking the prenatal vitamin anymore because there's a fair amount of copper in a lot of prenatal vitamins. And so you replace that with something else. And uh, I don't have a recommendation uh, because I would need to know the patient's biochemistry better to be able to do that. But oftentimes, too much copper postpartum can be problematic for mom. Uh, it, it isn't usually an issue during pregnancy. And oftentimes, the symptoms uh, of sort of the depression will be there prior to pregnancy, and they'll go away during pregnancy, and then they'll come back even though they're taking a prenatal vitamin uh, while they're pregnant. And that's because the, the fetus actually needs lots of copper. And so, in effect, the fetus is sucking the copper out of mom. So that's, that's one of the, the clues to us about how uh, a copper overload might be there. Um, another clue is, is sort of the uh, sensitivity in their skin. And what I mean by that is, is that for example, tags like uh, on a on a shirt, on a t-shirt, might might be really irritating to a person with copper overload, or certain fabrics might be irritating, uh, and and usually a telltale sign is is if you wear something that's kind of a metal that that's 
cheap, we call it cheap metal, but like nickel or, or something like that, uh, typically their skin will react with that metal and, and discolor it. And I've had patients whose uh, literally their skin will turn green when they wear an earring or a bracelet for too long and it'll get really, really itchy. And, and that's usually a sign of copper overload. So um, what, what are we looking for, you know, in, in the blood test with, with high copper? Well, typically anything above 110, I think it's micrograms per deciliter uh, in the serum copper we consider to be high copper. Now, in a healthy person, their ceruloplasmin will go up relative to the copper. And so they won't actually have a very high, they won't have a high free copper. And I've seen this before where, I, I mean, I've seen patients who've had ceruloplasmin go up almost equally with the copper going up to almost 200. And and it was very surprising. And, and it was interesting how their body was able to adapt to that. The other aspect we would look at is, uh, is what's the zinc level? Is the zinc level healthy? Because basically we want the copper to zinc ratio to be between about 0.8 and 1.0. Uh, oftentimes we get patients who don't really have a, a copper level that's super duper high. Uh, it might actually be at 110, but they don't either they don't have enough ceruloplasmin or they don't have enough zinc to balance it out. And so in those situations, it's not necessarily about treating the high copper per se, you know, directly it's about either bringing the zinc levels up or potentially bringing the, um, the ceruloplasmin levels up. And that's a little more complex. Uh, and, and I'm not going to go too much into that today because that, that might actually be a separate topic, but that usually represents something going on with the liver because ceruloplasmin is a protein produced by the liver. So oftentimes the issue there is is that the liver isn't isn't functioning as, as at capacity and and so that's why people's ceruloplasmin might be lower. It also may be that their zinc is just too low and and so that that aspect can can arise out of that as well. So a few other notes on the high copper folks. Um, I mentioned the hyperactivity. There's also a really high level of anxiety that will show up with these people. And it, it, it is the type of anxiety that will lead to an emotional meltdown usually or a panic attack. And it's something that, you know, it, it typically you know and you can see it. And it can lead to also learning issues as well. Uh, people can also have trouble concentrating and staying focused. Now remember, you're basically driving down dopamine levels, which is calming, and upregulating uh, adrenaline, norepinephrine, and you know levels, which is going to be more excitatory. And so that, of course, it's it's more difficult to focus. It's more difficult to be calm. It's just a, you know, you can see a lot of emotional meltdowns with these people as well. Um, typically they have sleep problems and they, like I mentioned, there's headaches and, and oftentimes the headaches 
can coincide with menstrual cycle, although that isn't necessarily the case. Uh, we think it might be because the changes in estrogen levels will change how much a female's body will uh, hold on to copper. And it's because if the body thinks it's pregnant or is trying to get pregnant, it's going to want to do that so that it can feed it to to the uh, to the fetus to the to the developing baby so that's kind of the the piece about about copper and menses and and some sometimes one of the key things is is that if you've been on if you have a lot of these symptoms or they get worse when you go on oral contraceptives that's usually a clue that the body's holding on to copper too too, too much so so that's what I have today for you. I hope you enjoyed the program. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to send uh, an email to info, I-N-F-O, at askdrgill, A-S-K-D-R-G-I-L.com. And also, if you like the program, please leave a review on iTunes. Uh, that would be really helpful. I, again, I'm trying to get traction, get, get more listeners in here. And if you have a topic you want me to cover, send that along too. So that's all I got. Hope you enjoyed the program. I will talk to you next time.